We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. football podcast it is wednesday august 14th nick whalen back with john mckechnie uh john a lot to get to this week uh first of all is wayne crebet's birthday uh shout so out I wish a, yeah huge shout out huge happy birthday to wayne crebet the pride uh, of hofstra i was just gonna ask if you knew i i had no idea he was a hofstra guy i knew he was an east coast guy uh did not know that that he joined marcus colston in that elite wide receiver fraternity yeah you almost wonder like was Hofstra's lacrosse team full and he just yeah, right. did you, and then he just walked onto the football field and he's like I can wear a helmet out here son yes you can and we're gonna hit you in it a lot and yes. he's like all right I'm I'm game one of one of the those players that especially for guys our age you know in your mid to late 20s just I feel like he was playing on Monday Night Football every single week like in my mind he was one of the five best receivers in the NFL even though I know that was not the case but uh, a guy that I think sticks with a lot of people uh, for a number of reasons. Yeah, I mean, it, he was just like, he walked so Wes Welker could run. 
<laughs> is basically how how I would put it. What a just a, an icon for like you said, yeah. guy, guys in our very specific age range. I mean, just always going over the middle, like surprisingly, like pretty good. You know, way better than you would think he was. Um, and yeah, like the, just emblazoned in like the mm. those early two thousands, like Dennis Miller uh, calling the Monday Night Games, yes. the color commentary, talking about how gritty Wayne Corbett is. It just yeah, it takes you back. A thousand yard season. In 1998, yeah, I, th- I think it was him, and I think it was Joe Jurevicius are, are kind of two of the guys that paved the way for the West Welkers of the world. That's right, Joe Jurevicius, Super Bowl champion as well. Absolutely, as it should be noted. Do you want to do Hard Knocks first? Yeah, let's get it. Let's get right into that. Okay, so you you've watched this twice now, right? Yeah. You you watched it initially and then rewatched it specifically for the purpose of discussing it on this podcast, which is very admirable. Um, for me, not quite as many takeaways this week. Abram kind of toned it down. Derek Carr. Not quite as much FaceTime. It was a great episode, I thought, for John Gruden, though. Yes, but yeah, big, big Gruden episode, which is, you know, I think my, my favorite part of, of this, of like why they chose Hard Knocks for the Raiders in the first place. I was excited to see Gruden, and I loved his... Um, did you ever play the the game on, on like your PlayStation 2, uh, Blitz the League? Like after NFL Blitz kind of or lost their NFL licensure, so they had to go rogue and like create their own, you know, like facsimiles of teams i played it once or twice but no i was just more of a traditional blitz guy and then you know all all madden after that so when they when they introduced the rams it was very very similar and and listener you should go to youtube and look up some blitz the league clips because every time like during your campaign mode you would go to play somebody your coach would kind of do the exact same thing that gruden did is like we're going to baltimore this week they got this linebacker bruno pataglia broken legs every single week of the opposing quarterback you got to look out for this guy uh that was basically what the aaron donald cut up was like and then oh we got Goff coming in here they call in the g-man you know what they got this other guy also the g-man todd Gurley. Gurley. <laughs> yeah they well, he had them he was quizzing them on photos of like well-known all pro players <laughs> like what do we have here like the, the whole room would just grumble Gurley. <laughs> <laughs> who do we have here Goff. <laughs> It was it was it was something to behold. So loved that. Um, also loved the the rookie, you know, uh, hazing stuff where where they have him uh, sing or whatever. Renfro should be thoroughly ashamed of himself. Just absolutely no soul in that, None. and also no creativity in the in the song choice yeah. either. I mean, you might as well have done My Girl. Like it was it was on that same level of I don't know what I'm doing. So I was disappointed in that. He has more hair than I thought he did. Like he's way less bald than too I, much than hair. I, I would yeah, say, I, yeah. Like uh, maybe some of that signing bonus went to some hair plugs right. there. Shout out Joe Buck, but. Uh, yeah, I, I was surprised by by Renfro's lack of heart on that. Um, when Max Crosby did the buy you a drink, and uh, I thought that was good, he did it was a good, good choice. And Gruden's face at the end of that, just the utter confusion. <laughs> like, we got a white guy who listens to rap. Uh, that was that was pretty amazing too. So that that was one of my finer takeaways from this from it, this episode. <clears throat> it took a while for the rest of the team to join in on the T Pain. Like that was such a great choice. I thought right away, you know. If I was sitting in that room, I would have been joining him on like word three, but it took him really until the chorus for for everyone else to to chime in. My question to you is what would you choose in that situation? It's like for me, I don't consider myself to be like super shy, but I am a horrible like a horrific singer, worse than than Renfro by far. And that is just something I would never want to do. I wouldn't I wouldn't mind going up and saying my signing bonus, you know, answering a few funny questions, something like that, but singing in front of people. I just I just wouldn't want to do it, and I think I kind of respect Hunter Renfro going for an oldie classic, kind of an, an easier song to sing, one that you know everyone will know. 
Um, whereas T-Pain, I mean, a, a man who is well known for his use of autotune, that's a tough one to replicate. Yeah, that, that, was, a, that was a bold choice by Crosby there. But yeah, all, all the respect in the world for that choice. Nonetheless, I, I feel like I would go um, just I would dive in with both feet on like a ridiculous song choice. I think like, you know, like a yeah. bad touch by the Bloodhound Gang type of thing, you know, where <laughs> where people are just stunned and shocked and horrified at what I'm doing up there on stage, but uh by the end of it they're they're yeah. in tears and they're clapping and throwing roses at me. That is true. If you if you go the ridiculous element, nobody's going to judge your singing because they're too preoccupied by this absurd song that you that you selected. Um yeah. You know, you know, I'm a big Two Chains fan. There's really no Two Chains song that would be appropriate for me, especially to sing in, in that setting. <laughs> yeah, there, there's some speed bumps um, there. You can't really. Yeah, I, I think Oldies is the way to go. Yeah, no, that if you, yeah, if you're in Renfro shoes, probably chose the right genre. Just you know, if you're gonna do it and you have to do it, just have a little heart. You know, yeah, get, get into it a little bit. Maybe select a like a Christian song, kind of catch people off. Shine Jesus, shine. There always it is. a banger. Yes. Always slaps. <laughs> always. <laughs> Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. People are just slapping <laughs> on the table. I you know that one. I love that song. <laughs> Yashir, you betcha there. Oh, man. Um, okay, a few other stray observations that I took down. Uh, John Gruden pretty hard on his quarterbacks. Not so much Derek uh, Der Carr, um, but Mike Glennon, <laughs> Nathan Peterman, especially. Um you know, not even. I mean, there was one one sequence in the preseason game where he really got on Mike Glennon for throwing a terrible pick, but in practice, even just hammering both of them for their lack of command in the huddle. Um, not all that surprising, though, when you consider you know the fact that these guys seem to bounce around from team to team every year, and it, it probably is a similar story wherever they end up. Uh, not a lot of great moments for Glennon, but at least the Peterman, uh, Nathan Peterman, Vic, right, with a yeah. fifty-yard scramble Wheels. in that preseason game. Yeah. So yeah. Gruden, you know, is known for being like the quarterback guy. So right. it's not surprising that, that A, he wanted to bring in the, these two veterans who are kind of like reclamation projects. I think that he's like one of the few remaining stands of Nate Peterman. But yeah, like like you're saying, like when when like it's go time, when it's practice or yep. when it's the game, like he has no reservations, just absolutely tearing into those guys and, and calling them out for the wrong reads or, you know, not utilizing the talent that's put around them. Uh, so I thought, yeah, again, it, it all ties back into uh, Gruden looking good. Um, although there was an unflattering shot of, of the back of his head when he didn't have his um, when he didn't have his hat on. And there's like a, a sneaky bald spot yep. creeping in there towards the back. So got to tighten that up uh, a little bit if, if you're Gruden. But otherwise, uh, good Gruden episode. Not much from Incognito in this one. There's a, a pretty funny scene of him, I think, talking to an assistant or maybe another lineman just fawning over Aaron Donald and just basically talking about how Donald had been dominating him, yeah. a four-time <laughs> pro bowler, throughout the entire day. Very strange interaction between Alk Ingold, um, an ex-Badger, and a, a kind of a Green Bay native, actually, uh, trying to talk to Clay Matthews, who he very clearly idolized. Clay just kind of being like, oh, yeah, I've, I've heard of that school. <laughs> hey, Clay, uh, you remember the time you got the sack and, and the Packers won the Super Bowl? <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> that was honestly pretty much what it was. I saw your tweet about this beforehand, and I was just like, oh, boy, here we go. And then you see him walking over to him after the scrimmage and – uh, yeah, a, a strange you know interaction. You know me, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Clay clearly did not know who he was. So uh, yeah, Ingold got you know I'd say at least twenty seconds of airtime because he was also yeah. uh, Keelan Doss's roommate. So like he was sitting there while while Doss was talking about how he's from the Bay Area yeah. in, the, in the hotel room. But yeah, some some glow up there for the for the fullback. Keelan Doss never really seen someone have such a drastic ratio of insane contested catches versus 
wild, wide open drops. Like they showed that like one minute montage of him making just crazy catch after crazy catch after crazy catch, followed by another one minute montage of him dropping every wide open pass thrown to him over the entire uh, combined practice. Yeah, HBO really kind of did a phenomenal job with the Raiders F up montage. Yeah. I felt like just like in general, like they really, they really just like they had the music going and it yeah. was just dropped ball after. Well, it was you know, ironic. Just... Like the music was like this kind of titany monumental music at like juxtaposed with players just like getting laid out by Aaron Donald, <laughs> yeah. getting blown up off the line. I, I, I did wonder as I was watching that, like I would like to talk to a Raiders assistant and be like, was it really this bad? Or did HBO just cut it up to make it look like, you scrimmaged the Rams for 30 minutes and lost like 100 to zero. Yeah, I've, uh, that would be great insight to know because, I mean, I, I think that HBO, what the the point of the show is to ham up whatever it is that, right. that, they're, that they're focusing on. So, I mean, if they're going to do a segment about the Rams effing up, obviously there's going to be a ton of footage uh, to work mm-hmm. with. So uh, they just kind of went from there. So it seems like Keelan Doss is going to be one of this year's focuses. I think, um, yeah, kind of like the crystals be, guy last year without the crystals. Right, he'll be close to making that fifty-three. Like I, it seems like Gruden likes him enough, and if he does yeah. one or two more things in, in a training camp game, he'll be safe to be like a wide receiver six that also has to play special teams. Is is my guess? Yeah, and who is the the Eastern Michigan defensive end? Is kind of the uh, other guy. I think uh, that Max, Max Crosby. Okay, but they they actually drafted him in in the fourth round. So if he doesn't make the team, then and it seemed like he was sticking his nose in there and, and yeah. getting stuff done. I, I he got I emoji have, tattoo. Yeah, he had a lot of tattoos, a lot of not really great looking ones, and he ad- admitted that none of them really make a lot of sense in yeah. terms of a cohesive, <laughs> uh, you know, canvas art. But yeah, I think he's going to make the team. He's yeah. he's a uh, I actually kind of liked his tape, actually, from Eastern Michigan, thinking back on it. Yeah. He's huge. Long arms. Really yeah. long arms. Um, okay, so that'll wrap up that episode. But a couple more big picture things. One, uh, there was news yesterday afternoon that we could potentially be looking at a college football version of Hard Knocks. And I don't think it would be called Hard Knocks, but it would be produced by HBO. Details are a little bit scarce right now, but it sounds like it would maybe be kind of a shorter condensed version where it would focus on one maybe two weeks with one team and then move on to another um uh, and the I'd four like that. the four teams that were all but confirmed you know i think it, it was almost beyond a rumor there were you know people from these these universities were were already offering comment on it even though they couldn't really confirm they were going to be on the show but it was washington state alabama penn state and arizona state that would all be featured and, and what we expect would be you know, kind of a one week embedded with each of these teams. Um, I would love to see the state controlled narrative that would come out of the Alabama version of that because that's why I was wondering, like, why just, even pick Alabama? Yeah, like, why bother? The, there's no point other than like, there's enough footage out there of Nick Saban walking around in a straw hat. You don't, right. we don't need any more of that or seeing him uh, yell at players. Like nobody, yes. none of this is going to be revelatory at exactly. all. Or like, oh, Alabama turns out has incredibly nice facilities. Right. Like wh- who cares? Every, every like March he does his, 20 minute long puff piece for ESPN where they go into his office and you know Holly Rowe sits sandwich down with him every day and, I'm a right. human being yeah and I, I just feel like we're already it, it does feel like the NFL version of this is being watered down much more this year I think than last year and we're only two episodes in like if we're only getting maybe 50% of what we really want from the NFL version we're going to get maybe 20% from the college version and then when you specify it with Alabama I mean five percent ten percent yeah so so it really comes to what you know like you like you mentioned that the four teams between washington state alabama penn state and arizona state 
if you're on the production side of this, you want to choose a team that's going to have a captivating head coach. So that's why Washington State would make the most sense because Mike oh, yeah. Leach is just like, you know, we, like we were talking with the table memes last week. Like there's nobody that's more just like on a on a one-off minute sound clip that you'd rather listen to than Mike Leach, in my opinion. I mean, yep. the guy is just completely off the wall. You have no idea what he's ever going to say. He's not going to be, or he's going to be productive of his players, yeah. obviously. Well, he wouldn't be withholding in the way that Saban would be. No, not at all. So he would he would be himself fully and that would make for this yes. uh particular uh thing to be interesting whereas alabama would they would you know they would hire like media people to like come yes, in and talk to the players to like you know how to be in front of the camera when well, the and cameras what, around you. and what school at washington state probably included what school division one you know power five school would would not request to sign off on whatever's being shown you know like alabama specifically i would almost guarantee will say we have we have last say on what gets you know what makes the final cut yeah and i mean realistically most of these schools should i mean these are these are amateur athletes but right. yeah you, you just you know that like alabama is like the pinnacle like the nth degree of of that sort of yeah. uh we control the message here it's nice that you guys yeah. are here but it's also a total distraction blah 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 right and yeah so i i think Wazoo would be a good place to start because it's just such a, like a non-traditional power. It's just such like a mm-hmm. weird school. It fits so well with Mike Leach himself. You know, it's it, it's on the Palouse out out in you know yep. eastern eastern part of the state of Washington. A uh, bunch of just kind of ragtag, you know, the way that they have to build their roster just because yep. the recruiting doesn't work so well there is just very very unique and i think that would make it great mm-hmm. herm would be pretty awesome yeah but well I, that, that's already, another reason i think arizona state yeah. was chosen is you talk about a charismatic head coach and someone who will probably embrace this to some degree you Luke, know a lot more than most coaches would was hard knocks at the jets when he was the coach i feel like they might have been i thought rex ryan was the coach at the time oh no you're right yeah for that one i, I think I, he was was herm for the chiefs though that hard knocks the brody croyle year <laughs> I, I had to be honest i didn't watch hard knocks back then um just by you saying the word Brody Croyle, though, is a little bit triggering. <laughs> um, I don't know. That was back in 2007. So the, I think Herm might have been uh, the coach back then. I, I, I feel like Herm has some in front of camera uh, experience be, be, from his coaching days before he got uh, to ESPN. But I need to go way, back and watch this. Oh, my God. Yeah, Herm, Herm, would, uh, Herm would be pretty awesome. And it's pretty cool that he like chose a true freshman to be their starter at quarterback this year. Yeah. So he's... He's blown up every one of my like very uh, skeptical uh, predictions for how Herm's college coaching career would go. Mm-hmm. I think I think he he actually has Arizona State trending in the right direction. Yeah. So good on him. Uh, so yeah, Arizona State would also be good. Washington State would be good. Pen, uh, everyone would be really annoyed of James Franklin within yeah. like the first oh, five yeah. minutes of those episodes. Yeah, I think overall, I mean, to wrap this up, I, I think the idea is great. You know, if you're a football fan, especially a college football fan, this sounds awesome. I, I'm a very much skeptical of how awesome the final result will be. But but in the end, like for the same reason we watch Hard Knocks, it's just cool to see stuff behind the scenes that you're not going to see on game day. Exactly. And, and it'd be fun with the college wrinkle. Mm-hmm. Just It's a little bit different, that, that locker room and how things function day to day than the NFL. Last NFL note, um, Central Michigan's own Antonio Brown, speaking of college football, where where does this go from here? I was I was listening to I think it was the NFL.com or the Around the NFL pod the other day and and they were kind of offhandedly taking casual bets on whether he's on the team before they move to Vegas next year. I has it gotten to that point? Like to me it doesn't feel like it's that serious yet, but the way this is all kind of trended over the last 6 to 8 months feels like extremely Terrell Owensy and I think you could maybe argue that it's also you know, a little bit, maybe a more severe version of like Randy Moss getting out of Minnesota, going to Oakland, 
failing in Oakland, but then ultimately, you know, having his best season, you know, in New England and, and kind of clear, I wouldn't say clearing his name, but, you know, restoring his reputation, I oh, guess definitely. is a better way to put it. Whereas Terrell Owens, once he fell off, you know, he, you know, he had a couple moments, but bounced around all of a sudden he's a bill, then he's a Bengal and he's, he's all over the league and his reputation is kind of solidified as what it is now. To me, it kind of feels like Antonio, Antonio Brown is heading that direction. And it's just really hard for me to envision this ever taking a complete 180, you know, and him kind of being back on the good side in the public eye. Yeah. I mean, especially like if you asked me over the weekend how I thought this was going to go, you know, I would have said that, yeah, there's a legitimate chance that he doesn't even play for the Raiders this year. I just had that level of, of skepticism. I mean, just the, the, the volume of, of noise that was coming out, you know, from like the Mike Silver uh, tweet thread from from Friday night that was like 20 posts long, uh, getting into the the various uh, strange parts of the of this Raiders Brown relationship dating back to when it began, to the helmet, to the feet stuff, and, and everywhere in between. But it's it seems like things are cooling down. I think he's you hey, know he's going to be giving it. it a shot here, but but uh, <laughs> but I. I think this should work out for for this year. I'm more certain of that now than I was, you know, yesterday even. I I feel like tensions are thawing there again. I I can't even help myself with these Mm -hmm. terrible uh, cryotherapy puns. (laughs) Um, But... Yeah, in general, man, like I don't see a, a redemptive part of a part of Antonio Brown's career arc. Right. Like I think he's always going to be. This is damning. I think this this is he's always going to be labeled as this head case uh, in the same vein as To. And I don't think there's going to be a season in there that that helps erase that that public eye. And it, right. it dates back to the you know I think everyone kind of views the Steelers as this up upright organization and so like if he goes wrong by them you know that that must be a red flag in, in one way or another and then goes to the Raiders and he's even too crazy yeah. for the Raiders like that that's just like a whole nother another level mm-hmm. here so um love the talent still and like I, I hope he can kind of make this team and this offense interesting but yeah he I he's a very untrustworthy person it feels like yeah it's, it's just hard for me to imagine him personally like taking accountability at any point i mean i don't even know what a public apology would do you know at this point in in this whole saga and like strangely enough the frostbite thing is like the least of anyone's concerns like as that's one of the craziest injury stories of any sport that we've ever had and the timing is terrible he still really hasn't been able to develop much chemistry i mean probably five ten times on hard knocks last night you heard gruden saying to his assistants saying to Derek Carr saying to coaches on the Rams like man I wish we had 84 out here yeah you know I mean <laughs> opening week is what two and a half weeks away and that's you know the, the frostbite thing is is a minor concern in the grand scheme of things which and is it's nuts. just which is crazy and I, I think you know when you really look at the numbers I mean there, there's a case to be made one that you know T.O. who we're comparing him to is like the second or third best receiver ever Antonio Brown is on pace to be very much in that conversation I mean he's openly said you know he wants to be you know, right up there with Jerry Rice. I think Odell has also said that, strangely enough. But, you know, I, I think as it as it did with Terrell Owens, like even if he gets there yardage-wise, even if, you know, he's able to push through and, and still produce despite all these distractions like Terrell Owens did, I think T.O. is, what, second all-time in yards? Oh, wow. I didn't even know I he was believe that high. Either nice. yards or catches, he's number two. And, I mean, there's a good chance Brown could be on one of those lists. It, it just his legacy isn't going to match up with what the numbers say no matter what yeah like when when people say antonio brown they'll think of the the character the sideshow the off the field stuff before mm-hmm. you know kind of, you'll have to almost like pinch yourself and remember how incredibly good he was on the field and how 
effing dangerous he is with the ball in his hands like yep. it, just an absolute man madman on the field but yeah like until until proven otherwise it just feels like he's going to be one of those yep. classic diva receivers where you forget about what the on-field looked like a little bit yes um let's actually get to some college football dfs talk then we can kind of circle back and hit some of these other I items like uh the main slate for week one is up on DraftKings, um i want to just get your first impressions we'll kind of focus on the skill positions obviously quarterback running back receiver um how do you handle to attack of in week one uh he's he's really interesting i think that um there won't there's no way that i will finish all of my lineups and not have at least one like the the fomo of of the potential of tua just like of me going and making like 10 15 lineups and having zero Tua, and then he throws five touchdowns in the first half i, I can't do that so like I think for my, for my like bigger tournament entries, I will go away from him. But I think it, for like cash games, uh, he's a total lock. I think that you know four four uh, passing touchdowns is is probably my floor against against this Duke defense um, that that gets shredded by a lot of people. I mean, they I think they gave up like sixty points to Wake Forest last year. Or that's something, a, that's or a tough Wake Forest like, team. Hey, yeah, I, I agree. J- Dave Clawson's <laughs> got that look in his eye, man. But um, yeah, two is going to go nuts. Um, it's just. A, you know, it's going to be one of those things where you build up that that sweet lead early on in the day, only to see it just kind of dissipate as you see these other quarterbacks on the board playing all four quarters and and, and going to the air uh, because they have to win. Uh, whereas Bama should have this game wrapped up within the first ten minutes or so. So I, I like Tua, um, but again, you're going to be very passing reliant, and you're not going to get quite the volume that that you want you know four mm-hmm. four points per passing touchdown you know what if he ends up with with the four or five but he he throws for under 300 yards whereas you're you're, fi- you're looking at other guys on this board that are going to be putting up 80 90 rushing yards in addition to their passing production along with rushing touchdowns so that the lack of rushing upside plus the last of pa- lack of passing yardage um is something that you need to at least consider before you lock mm-hmm. into it and he is expensive he is a little, he's not super cost prohibitive we'll see players go up closer to like 10 or eleven thousand as the season progresses but for now it he is the most expensive player on the board and it's going to be a little bit tough to make the lineup exactly how you want it with him so for for people who maybe aren't quite as familiar you know with how these prices vacillate as the season goes on like will, will Tua be higher priced in a game against a better defense with the implication that he'll be playing more snaps um i think last year it they would they would like knock his price down a little bit against like a like an Arkansas State or or a uh, Citadel or something yeah. like that because that it's a very clear assumption that that he's not going to be playing all four quarters in that one so yeah I, I would say if he's playing a Power Five team or or a, a conference opponent then yeah mm-hmm. you'll see you won't see him drop below like the fourth highest priced uh, quarterback yeah. on a given week no matter what so two is the number one priced at, at ninety two hundred you have Justin Fields um, at nine thousand. They, you know, Ohio State plays host to, to Florida Atlantic, so a pretty similar situation in terms of what you'd expect for the spread and the final score. You know, how do you weigh guys like that who, you know, fields less than two, of course, but are, are virtually guarantees to have good games, you know, maybe not great just because of, of how much or how little they may play in the second half. How do you weigh those guys versus, you know, guys who aren't as talented, but who are cheaper and who you think will actually play, you know, a full four quarters? Right. So, so they're not they're not like your total building blocks for, for tournaments because that you 
you don't think that you're going to get that maximum range of outcomes with, with him. Mm-hmm. Although with Fields, though, I mean, this is his first game, and like he he still hasn't officially been named the starter. I, I fully right. expect that he will, but um, I think that Ohio State's going to want to kind of have a blow your doors off type of opening week here. So uh, not not that Alabama wouldn't, but Fields has that dual threat capability yeah. that 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 Tua doesn't, and I think Fields is going to just go kind of ape you know, on the, on this game, like just go, you know what? I don't ape what? (laughs) uh, (laughs) Poop. Uh, and yeah, it's going to be crazy. I think, I think Fields is actually going to do, he's going to do enough in the truncated appearance. Even if he gets lifted in the fourth quarter, I think that the damage will have been done by then. Um, as this, as a spread sort of, uh, will imply what once that like gets officially boiled down. But yeah, I think Fields is going to have a huge day. He is 9,000. So like, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to think, you know, give a good hard thought as to what you want to do with your super flex. He kind of is a little bit, um, prohibitive in the sense that like you can't really get like a, a, another quarterback as your super flex above like 70 or 7,000 you're going to need to kind of go a different direction with that I mm-hmm. we can list out some guys that, that you might want to be tournament long shots a little bit later on but I do like fields I think I will have more lineups with fields in it than I do Tua. so again fields and Tua, um the top two in, in terms of pricing then you have a little bit of a drop off you know from fields at 9,000 uh, to Peyton Ramsey of Indiana at 8,200. Uh, how do you kind of tear off these guys? And, and you know, as you do that, when you look to tier two or tier three, if you want to avoid some of those guys at the top, if you're worried about playing time uh, in, in kind of some of these cupcakey games, who are you targeting, you know, in, in the middle of these price points? Um, so the, the, the Ramsey one's interesting. It's interesting that he's the third highest on this board. And I think a lot of that has to do with the matchup going yeah. against Ball State. Uh, shout out Indiana for agreeing to open on the road. Uh, that's a very beta move of, on their part. But Indiana football, man. Um, so, yeah, Peyton Ramsey, like he's got the ability to wear like – you could see the argument for him being the number three priced quarterback on this board. But I mean, uh, their coach is very much not married to Ramsey right now. It seems like they could be going between uh, him, this guy, Michael Penix, and uh, this this uh, transfer from Utah, uh, Tuttle. So I think there's a very good chance in this game in particular where Indiana should carry it no matter what, that he's going to want to see these three guys facing, you know, live action. So there, there, there could be, you know, an even bigger volume, uh, concern when it, when it comes to Ramsey. So he's someone that, that I think I immediately cross off my board as a fade. I think Tommy Stevens is super interesting at 7,600. Miss State uh, should run all over uh, Louisiana Lafayette. Um, and Stevens, I think, can run a little bit and do some of that. So I like him a lot. Jake Bentley, uh, I think, is someone that's going to be, for tournament logic, someone that is kind of underowned. He's, again, I, I know I was just ripping Tua for not adding enough on the ground, but Bentley doesn't really do that either. However, they don't have a great run game. UNC has a bad defense all around. They have Brian Edwards, the, probably the best receiver on this slate, not not in an Alabama uniform. So they're going to be throwing it a lot. I think that that South Carolina offense kind of skews that way. Uh, the game should be competitive to where Bentley could be throwing upwards of 40, 45 times. So I like Bentley sneakily as someone to, to kind of throw into my lineups. And then I think another kind of interesting game theory one is getting both sides of the Memphis Ole Miss game. Uh, that's a game where no defense is going to be played whatsoever. Uh, it's going to be hot. It's in Memphis. It's going to be wild. Um, both these teams are, are 
Oh, Miss Ole Miss more so uh, a pass happy team, but but uh, Memphis certainly goes to the air uh, enough, and and Brady White, the the Memphis quarterback at seven thousand, pretty reasonable price for a guy who has Demonte Coxie as his number one receiver, who's a total beast. Um, you're basically buying. I would imagine 70, 70% of the overall points that are going to be scored in this game mm-hmm. are going to be coming through the air. So I think getting both both quarterbacks in that game is going to be a, a lineup construction that I do in at least a couple places. So that Ball State-Indiana game is actually at Lucas Oil. It's technically a Ball State home game, but okay. for some reason, are they going to fill that? At the big oil drum. Yeah, right? They, they've also done this, I'm told, by this article in 2011. They played the first ever fbs game at lucas oil huh how about that all state came out on top hey so yeah it would have been a huge beta move i agree with you if indiana actually played this at ball state but technically a home game uh, on a neutral site wisconsin actually had a very strange deal um last year they played western kentucky at home in football but agreed uh as part of the contract to go play them on the road in basketball and then lost oh that's right terrible idea everyone yeah everyone was freaking out about wisconsin basketball after that that was <laughs> That was something. Yeah, it's been like a five-year-long freakout, really, at this point. <laughs> uh, any other quarterbacks you want to hit on, or you want to move to running backs? Um, I, I'll just toss it out there. Um, I would probably avoid the the North Carolina guys. Um, you know, as much as I like Sam Howell in the, in the long term, he's he's a guy that Mac Brown flipped from Florida State on signing day, which is pretty awesome. Uh, you know, especially for a new old coach, basically to to pull off like a savvy recruiting move like that. But um, first game neutral side against an sec defense just just don't do it um terry wilson against toledo terry wilson can't throw for crap but he's a really good runner they obviously just lost benny snell so they're going to need to replace something on the ground wilson i think can help pick up that slack so i like him a lot um a lot of people will be wondering about holton allers uh, of east carolina he's someone that i'll be fading it uh in this particular slate i think nc state has enough on defense and they're tough enough on defense to make this a living hell for allers and it's going to be uh at nc state I, I imagine if it if allers does do well it's going to be sheerly volume but they're going to be instilling a more slow paced offense than what they were doing last year and he got by solely because of just the sheer amount of plays that they're running running so if you reduce that play count then you reduce everything else that comes along with Mm. him because he's not an efficient player so uh he's someone that i i will kind of plant my flag and say i won't be using uh in dfs week one so you mentioned that um mississippi and memphis game no defense will be played we can confirm that this is this is confirmed there will neither be passing defense nor will there be rushing defense uh the number one player uh in terms of pricing uh memphis running back patrick taylor jr uh, and then if you look down, number four, uh, priced at 7800 Kylan Hill of Mississippi State. I know he's a guy you like in week one. Yes. Yeah, I think Hill is probably the my, the one guy. I, I know I mentioned Stevens a minute ago on Miss State, but I, I think Hill would be the piece of the Miss State offense that, that I go ahead and get because, you know, the, there's a chance that Miss State – you know, doesn't need to air it out. Uh, they can just kind of run this thing out. And Hill, Hill is talented enough to where even if he gets, you know, 18 to 20 carries, it should be at, you know, a good seven yards a clip against this Louisiana Lafayette defense. I think there's a couple touchdowns baked into that as well. So I really, really like Kylan Hill um, a lot for, for this, uh, for this opening week and Patrick Taylor, Ole Miss can't stop a nosebleed on the ground. So Taylor's going to Taylor was amazing last year as Darrell Henderson's, you know, uh, sidekick. Uh, now this is his show in that backfield. So I like him a lot. If you wanted to get a little bit uh, cute with it or, or, you know, picking out your flex 
uh, from that Memphis backfield. Uh, Tim Taylor is also someone uh, to keep an eye on, potentially a little bit cheaper, um, but should be seeing plenty of carries. Obviously, Patrick mm-hmm. Taylor saw plenty of work with Darrell Henderson still being the guy last year. I, I, and I envision a very similar uh, type of division of the workload uh, this year. AJ Dillon, one of my favorite players in the country, reminds me a lot of Ron Dane, kind of the the New England version of Ron Dane. Uh, didn't have a huge game against Virginia Tech last year. Didn't even get to 100 yards. Did carry the ball 24 times. Obviously, nothing new for him. Um, do you like him in week one, or do you think this is a stay away? Um, I think just the opponent versus what the other running backs on this board are going to be facing for the most part mm-hmm. is enough to where, I mean, in the price is, is not bad. Like I, I think that a lot of people will have a similar line of thinking as I do on this one, where it's like, you know, I'll pay up the extra $300 to get a, a running back going against a Louisiana Lafayette, uh, type of thing. But Dylan should be fine. The workload is super bankable. They have no other really options on that, on that offense. He should be fine, but going against this Virginia tech defense it returns basically everybody and this is bud foster's last year um i think that this we're just going to see like a good not great game like not a game that that helps like really mm-hmm. push you or separate you from the rest of the pack uh in your tournaments there so dylan fine for cash game he's not going to burn you but uh, i don't think he takes you to where you want to go mm-hmm. so we discussed both those ohio state uh, and alabama games you know under the pretense of the quarterbacks somewhat of the same argument you know for for maybe staying away from someone like jk dobbins or Najee harris um you know guys who if this is a 55 to 7 game with eight minutes left in the third quarter you know they're not going to keep pounding those guys you know that's when you start getting some underclassmen some guys who don't carry the ball quite as much some more reps um do do you feel that way or or is jk dobbins you know much like justin Fields, someone who could just go wild in two and a half quarters and, and return you that value that you're getting at 7,900. Yeah, Dobbins is going to be one of the linchpins of this entire slate, I feel like, um, because it is going to be really tempting to go after him, and they, they really haven't found or announced that 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 second option behind him. I, I like to think it's Master Teague, just because his name's incredible, and he was a really, really uh, high recruit in the 2018 cycle, so he we haven't projected to be their number two guy, but uh, he's been a little bit dinged up there, so, I mean, keep an eye on that. I mean, this this is, that's something where things could change here uh, between record time uh, and and kickoff there. So keep an eye there. But for now, I feel like Dobbins and also um, I think Najee Harris also has a similar thing where you would have assumed that maybe he's not going to see the biggest workload in this game against Duke. But Trey Sanders just went down with it with an injury that's going to cost him the entire season. He was the number one running back in this year's class. I know we were talking about him and John Emery a little bit last week, but with him being out, um, you don't really love the rest of those Alabama running backs. I, I think they'll get some work, but I think that Bama is going to be kind of comfortable with, with turning this over to, to Najee Harris. And Brian Robinson's like a decent value there at mm-hmm. 5,300, but I do kind of like Najee at, at, at 7,300. I think that that's not a horrible price to pay for someone that might get a little more goal, goal line work than maybe yeah. some people are thinking. So if you follow college football recruiting, I mean, Najee Harris is somebody you've been hearing about for like six years. I mean, mm-hmm. he was one of those like eighth grade prodigy running backs. Like where does he stack up in your mind, um, you know, talent wise, projected productivity wise compared to so many of these other Alabama running backs that we've that we've seen come through? Um, if he I, I, I would say I slot him in somewhere like he could be better than Damian Harris. Um, I think that, you know, and I'm I'm not the biggest Josh Jacobs guy, but I think that there's a chance that he outdoes what Jacobs uh, did. And Jacobs doesn't has the, doesn't have the highest uh, production threshold to, to beat. I think that Najee Harris can, can beat that. Um, 
I mean, talent-wise, he's a guy that, that kind of changed the game in the national title game two years ago against Georgia. The, their run game with Damian Harris and Jacobs wasn't working. Then they brought in Najee Harris, and he kind of helped uh, get that offense in gear. Tua did, of course, as well, but but Najee was a huge part of their resurgence in the second half there. Uh, he's been waiting for his shot. He could go bonkers this year. All right, so give me one or two guys that you like. Let's say you, let's say you want to go discount at running back or you, know, you want to – pay up and then and pair one of those guys with with one of the lesser priced somebody who's maybe outside of the top i don't know let's say 10 or 15 uh, on DraftKings. um so i think uh when it comes to that someone that that's interesting to me would be uh T- tim taylor at at, uh, at memphis at four thousand, but also tavian feaster of, of south carolina um we're not it's really hard to know exactly what what his usage is going to be because he just joined South Carolina's team, like just got cleared to practice. And then he had like an infected tooth. They had to pull the tooth. I think he's supposed to be back at practice today or tomorrow um, and, and running with the first team. I imagine him to be that, that number one running back in South Carolina, but South Carolina really likes to rotate. And maybe that's because they haven't had a true answer at running back since like Mike Davis, really. Um, but or like Brandon Wilds. Just I mean, like, we're, yeah, we're, we're going. <laughs> back to back to some times there where, where it's been slim pickings in that South Carolina run game maybe Feaster becomes that answer but uh, for now I'm a little bit concerned that 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 rotation is just too deep uh, right now at least early in the season to where you can expect Feaster to be a super featured guy but at 4,000 with that level of talent and I'm I don't have the numbers in front of me but I'm sure he's done bad bad things to North Carolina before when he was on Clemson mm-hmm. so um, he knows what to look out for and I, I think at 4,000 uh, that's a nice way to to save yourself some salary cap to, to load up at, at some of the other premium uh, type of positions moving to wide receiver no surprise at the top a guy we talked about extensively on last week's podcast Jerry Judy at 8,300 I mean, once again, we can kind of have the same conversation with him um, as as we had with Najee Harris, as we had with Tua. You know, if and when Alabama is up big, you know, we're, we're going to likely see his snaps limited in the second half. Does that, you know, maybe maybe make you think about pivoting to someone like his teammate Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddle, who's you know over two thousand dollars cheaper than Jerry Judy, or, or are all of those guys kind of in the same boat? You know, would, would Alabama pull all three of them off the field? you know, when they're up 40 points in this game. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a wonder of them, like, seeing the snaps or them just, you know, kind of sitting on the ball. Right. Um, but at the same time, how do they get there? Yeah. How do, they, how do those points get on the board? It's probably through Jerry Judy, probably through Henry Ruggs, uh, probably through Jalen Waddle. So it, it's, a t- it's a tricky one. It's a tough line to, to walk. I think that when I do make a two-a lineup, maybe I'll, do a, I'll have Judy in there, like, kind of do, like, a full Alabama stack and really go scrubby uh, with the rest of my lineups. But... Um, you know, Judy is a little bit cost prohibitive at 8,300, especially when the target volume probably won't be as high and especially DraftKings full point PPR here. So you got to remember that Demonte Coxie, he's going to push for like 10, 12, at least targets Mm -hmm. in in that game against Ole Miss. Brian Edwards, similar deal. Um, If you can figure out who that number, that true number one at at East Carolina is going to be, that's another thing to consider. So Henry Ruggs at 6,900, I think is more palatable than, than Jerry Judy is at 8,300. So right now that that's kind of my lean. If I'm approaching this Alabama receiving core, you got to get one of those guys in, right? I I feel like there's just guaranteed long touchdowns happening early in this game. Like, I I don't know that I'll be watching this game as it happens, but you do know that whatever game you have on five minutes in, there's going to be a game break and Alabama's going to have like blocked a punt, had blocked a field goal, (laughs) returned the opening kickoff, and then had like two 45 yard 
uh, touchdowns that they ripped off. I mean, Jerry Judy, you, you mentioned PPR, which which is you know massively valuable, but only one game last year with more than six catches. See, exactly. You know, he. I mean, he had several hundred yard games just because you know he's averaging. 15 20 plus yards in a, in a lot of these per catch but I think this ends up looking a lot like maybe the Arkansas State game in week two last year four catches 87 yards two touchdowns long of 58 yes or you could even look at the Ole Miss game the following week that was a 62 to 7 Bama win three catches 136 yards long of 79 two touchdowns yeah it, it could very well end up, end up being like that and again while while the multiple touchdowns are great and in something that's difficult for any one receiver to make up solely through the through the receptions that they get it is something that you need to consider you need to know that that mm-hmm. that judy is going to be capped to probably six or less catches so this ball state defense um are they one that you're targeting regardless of what's going on with the quarterback situation at Indiana? I think so. So, you know, Donovan Hale is someone that's interesting. He's going to be seeing a high amount of volume and he's he's just 6,000. I think both passing games in this game are actually a little bit interesting. Uh, the way the Ball State's uh, offense functions um, b- between uh, Justin Hall and and uh, there there's another guy in there um that are that are <laughs> i do not so, fault you for not knowing the ball state depth chart and I, I was just getting into it this week but yeah the ball the ball state receivers um riley miller and and uh and justin justin hall those are the two guys uh so miller um is sort of more of the big play guy but um hall is someone who sees a ton of targets uh he doesn't do a ton with them but I mean, again, the PPR thing that just raises his floor and makes him, you know, someone to consider. And I think that maybe people are going to be a little bit sleeping on him. But, you know, he's a guy that saw 107 targets last year, only nine yards per catch. So nothing great. But I mean, he, he, the catch rate in itself, almost 70 catches last year on 107 targets. Impressive. So that that's really bankable floor. And I think that Ball State is going to be leaning pretty much solely on the air in the, in this game so mm-hmm. both both him and and uh, riley miller are guys to consider for your tournament lineups if you want to target that florida atlantic ohio state game the top five receivers in terms of pricing all from ohio state not that that's overly surprising um but some of these guys you know you have kj hill at the top at 6700 a lot of these uh you know not exactly the household names um not you know not the type of guys i mean you know, I think most even casual college football fans could name three or four Alabama receivers. I don't think they could name three or four Ohio State receivers. Um, if you do want to target this game, which, which again, we, you know, we do expect to get out of hand at some point, uh, which way are you leaning? I mean, several affordable options here. Yes, you got to love the price on, on all these guys. I think KJ Hill at sixty seven hundred. That's totally viable for for the price. Um, I think that he enters a year at. At, at worst, like the 1B option in this offense. I love Chris Olave, too, at, at 6,300. He really came on strong towards the end of last year. He's someone that I think has the Ryan Day uh, seal of approval. Um, I think he, he went off against Michigan uh, towards the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was, you know, that, that tells you uh, the, the level of player that he is. And he was doing that while Ohio State had like we saw three NFL receivers right. on that roster. So for him to be running ahead of some of those guys or getting the favor of Dwayne Haskins, it goes to show you that the kind of um, rapport and kind of clout that he holds uh, in this Ohio state offense. One interesting guy or super interesting is Garrett Wilson. Uh, he's 4,500. He's the guy that caught all the touchdowns from Graham Mertz in the, uh, in the, uh, Army All-America game mm-hmm. uh, this past winter. Silky smooth receiver, uh, just great hands. Five-star uh, commit from Austin, Texas that still got plucked 
to go to Columbus. Um, I think that with all the re- production that they are replacing, Wilson finds his way onto the field. And especially in a blowout type of situation like this one, Wilson's one of those like, you know, freshmen that could be, you know, game changers on mm-hmm. this week one slate. All right. Anything else you want to note from this slate? I mean, we can revisit next week as well. Um, you know, as we as we kind of inch closer to to week one of the college season. But any any flex or super flex notes? Um, super flex, you know, just just go always have a second quarterback. Don't don't like get cute. Um, just go after make sure that your lineup has two quarterbacks. Otherwise, you're just costing yourself. If you can figure out or if it gets announced um, who the Toledo starting quarterback is going to be, whether it's Mitchell Guadani or Eli Peters. They run a pretty up-tempo offense there at Toledo. They're going to be throwing it a lot. They, they lost a fair bit both in the passing game and in the run game. Uh, so the quarterback is going to have to pick up a lot of that slack. Obviously, going to Kentucky is not an ideal scenario starting on the road in, against an SEC opponent. But Kentucky lost a lot in its secondary that, mm-hmm. this past year. Lonnie Johnson, the guy that got drafted. Um, but some other pieces in that in that secondary are gone. So maybe maybe that one's a little bit ripe for the picking um, for your for your tournament. Uh, you're not going to want to make multiple entries with Mitchell Gaudani or anything, but certainly one way to kind of like corner uh, that market and potentially get a little bit of production uh, that way. But yeah, always, always a proponent of going with, with two quarterbacks. Mm. Don't, don't try to get too cute there. Eli Peters, extremely Mac quarterback name. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> and Guadani, like it, you, I feel like, uh, like, uh, Western Michigan just missed out on him or something because I, I could have like almost sworn that he was like a Western Michigan guy. Yeah, just feels like it. Uh, okay, a few news items to get to. Uh, first of all, Uga is officially named the best mascot in the country by Sports Illustrated this past week. Congratulations! Have you ever met Uga? Thank you, thank how, you. How do they kind of keep him on campus? Um, I have. I would have an easier time like getting into like Brian Kemp, the governor's office, than I would like meeting Uga. I think it's 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 something where you know you got to be swimming in some pretty deep waters with, mm. with the with the UGA people. Uh, he Uga, I believe, lives in Savannah, Georgia, and is transported to to Sanford on game days, or maybe he on like Fridays, and then he kind of does some events, and then you know goes goes back to his hotel, pours a glass pr- of whiskey. Yep, yep, just you know gets himself ready for that next day, yep. um, and then you know has his uh, doghouse set up on the sideline with the bags of ice, craft bags of ice you know very very fancy and uh yeah he's just i mean he's an all-star i mean I, I, was there any part of you that that rejected the notion of him being the number one i mean uh mascot i just have a hard time and obviously i'm biased but i can't think of a better one they're so, great ones but i i can't what was that was that like two seasons ago three seasons ago that uh i could try to bite someone or is that a longer time ago that, that so was a long time ago resurface like, yeah that's um that's like a you know an iconic picture if you yeah. get, if you throw like a football in any direction in, in Athens you will find that picture somewhere like yeah. very very nearby of the, that's incredible that alone uh, I think makes him the best mascot I'm not arguing it um I know you wrote down the the Tennessee dog Smokey I believe yes Smokey name. that's a that's a good looking yep. dog like Great Ugga, dog. Ugga's like you know charmingly ugly you know yeah but right Like the Tennessee dog is just mm. in terms of live mascots, right? The Tennessee dog is great. Bevo, you know, gets a lot of cred. Maybe a little overrated. I'm on on rough terms with Bevo right now after the Sugar Bowl, but I get it. I mean, he's a pretty stately. It's huge. It is massive. I don't know who thought it was an okay idea to just like bring like another wild animal near it and thinking that was going to go well. But you could not pay me to be the Bevo handler. Ooh, no. No. Uh, Mike the Tiger gets a lot of love, rightfully so. His Twitter game is incredible. Right. Um, 
Yeah, what are the other good live mascots? I, I'm assuming Ugga is kind of in its own division as a live mascot as opposed to the Bucky Badgers and Goldie Gophers of the world. Yes, so the, yeah, the the more the more Bucky Badger type mascots, I do love Bucky, and obviously I've, I've lived up here long enough yeah. to maybe that, that seeped into me a little bit, but I, I do love Bucky. Um, I think the other sort of honorable mention here would be Ralphie, um, the, the Colorado Buffalo. Oh, yeah. And speaking of being a dangerous handler, like you have to like, I think you have to like go to classes or something and, and have like a legitimate resume to like even apply oh, to, yeah. to be uh, one of Ralphie's handlers because yeah, if, they, if that goes wrong, yep. a lot of people could get hurt yourself included. So um, a little bit dangerous, but I think that adds to the mm-hmm. appeal of, of, of Ralphie. So and I believe uh, this iteration of Ralphie is a she, so it's very oh. uh, forward thinking as well. Interesting. Okay. Gender neutral. Big fan of that. And Colorado state, the Ram is also pretty awesome too. Yes. I, I don't know what his name is, but that guy's a hoss. Well, we can find that out very quickly. Um, his we name have the technology. is Cam the Ram. Cam the Ram. Yeah, big fan of Cam the Ram. Cam the Ram. Uh, I think Colorado State th- these last couple of years has kind of held court on those on these like week zero games. Yeah, uh, I know last year it was against Hawaii, and and the year before I think maybe like San Jose State or something. But Cam the Ram got his glow up. Everyone, you know, undivided attention. So it was great to see him. I, I think that he gets. Um, not as much recognition as he should. He's a, he's a very fine live mascot. Agree on all accounts. Um, in other big news, we got some interesting uniform updates. Uh, all the Under Armour schools are doing throwbacks this year to, I believe, celebrate 150 years of college football. ESPN is launching that big documentary series, I, I think, early next month, which looks really, really cool. Um, that's going to be you know, kind of a, a whole season-long thing, I think, much like the NFL 100 will be throughout the year mm-hmm. uh but maryland wisconsin south carolina northwestern boston college cincinnati and notre dame uh all got various iterations of, of throwback uniforms some of them are kind of blends of you know the present and the past others are just kind of straight up replications uh, of uniforms from the past wisconsin's a little hit or miss uh threw it out in in the badger group chat yesterday that the consensus was about a 5.7 out of 10 out of 10 dang okay um, so that's uh that's harsher than it's just a little low reviews, yeah. yeah i think i would go closer to maybe a 6.7 yeah um the pants you know you can't really replicate the look of like dirty leathery pants from the 1950s with like current day materials it always ends up looking a little strange like the packers you know once a year usually oh, do that boy. yeah and it just like, ends up just being the strange shade of polyester brown uh, and I feel like that's how this is going to end up looking. But the, the Badger tops, I think, are great. You know, no outlines on the numbers, very clean, uh, very crisp shade of red as always. Uh, so I like them overall. But for the for the most part, you know, a lot of these fairly unremarkable. I, I know the Maryland ones uh, you like quite a bit with that script uh, Terps on the helmet. Yeah, I mean, as a Maryland native and a you know perpetual haver of to defend the uniforms that Maryland trots out there, you know, a couple times a year where it's like, dude, what is that? And it's like, I like it. It's good. Don't judge it. Like, you know, uh, this is a, this is a very easy one to defend. I think that the Terp, uh, the white script, uh, on the red helmet looks really good. I think just the, the kind of classic, just straight up red with some, with some yellow piping on it looks really good. So I, I think Maryland did a good job with that. Maryland and Under Armour did a good job with that. Um, not sure what South Carolinas are going to look like. I'm always, I just don't like their color scheme in general. So, I mean, I'm not, not sold Theirs on look that good. one. They're, I, I saw I did catch one picture They're They're going back to like the mid eighties. Okay. All right. So they're nice. I, I like can get behind that. Um, I thought Cincinnati's look pretty effing clean too. The nice, you know, black, white, red, no yep. frills 
just oh, yeah. kind of just straight ahead, and it, it looks really good. I think Cincinnati, uh, they lost their way at certain points over this last decade. But well, how do you replace Tony Pike? It's, you just, you just don't. it's tough. I mean, they tried with Gunner Keel. We can get into Gunner Keel more here in a Munchy minute. Munchie but, but I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't mention. The king himself. But, uh, yeah, Cincinnati's, uh, they, they did a good job. Mm-hmm. And then Notre Dame, it's like, what do you do? You make it more yeah. boring? More like know. Notre Lame, am I right? <laughs> Got him. Um, Northwestern basically doing the exact same thing that Wisconsin is doing. Uh, instead of the UW on the chest, it's the big NU. Although they're a major upgrade. I, I cannot stand their kind of mid-stripe ones that they've been wearing these last couple of years with, Ooh, that, yeah. with that kind of three-stripe, thin, thick, thin, right around the, the belly. You know, for, for allegedly smart people, those are some pretty dumb-looking yeah. uniforms. Yeah. Well, good point. Got them. So I wanted to ask you, I, I made a list of my own, and I know you, you have as well. What are your top five uniforms in college football right now? And uh-huh. we're limiting this to kind of the default set. So if it includes a, an alternate that the team regularly wears – that's all good but no just like one offset the team wore one time so like you know if you're just tuning in on a random week seven noon game and this is the uniform you're expecting to see uh give me your top five okay yeah so that that knocks off like the the hawaii rainbow warrior one from a few years ago just incredible yeah that yeah simply simply uh yeah that's like a bingo free space basically but for me uh the auburn uh, the the blue top white bottom just standard classic look. Yep. I think that their their blend of of blue and orange just looks so crisp against the white. It just looks so good. Um, I love that. I love it on their field. What they got they got some hedges on their field, just like Georgia and some other schools. But just Auburn, it just it just works on every single level. So I love that that uniform combo and the, and the white on white also looks great for them. Mm-hmm. So I think that they they win. Uh, with both of those combinations. Um, second, I like Michigan with the blue top and the yellow yellow bottoms. I think those are extremely just kind of classic. Um, they, they look kind of, you know, sort of like USC. Like, they can they look worse if the team's worse, you know what I mean? Like, it, when USC's been bad in recent years, yep. um, it, those, like, those kind of mustardy <laughs> pants look dumb, yep. all just, like, beat up. Uh, I believe they're, Texas they're could losing. fall victim to that as well. They do, yep. they do. But when Texas is good, Texas looks Effing yep. sharp they made my list because of that. They're Dude, good the, now. The, the, the white on white Texas, I think, is really, yep. really tough to beat. That's number five for me. Uh, LSU, purple top, yellow pants. Yep. That's that's number three. And I think that has an argument even for, for upwards of number one. Yep. Uh, that's just a Saturday night game in Death Valley when they come out in those. It's <laughs> good luck. Good luck. And then a little bit of a wild card here that, that I'll toss in. The Oklahoma State with the orange jerseys, uh, white pants, and the white helmet with the yep. OSU on it. Low key, very very sharp. You know, sometimes they're not on the on the most uh, marquee or primetime matchup. But when they bust bust oh, yeah. those guys out, those are really good great, looking. Great set overall. They were always a team that I would choose in NCAA football to start a dynasty with. Great set. They have like seven alternates. You know, mm-hmm. a team like Auburn. As much as I love those, you have home and away, and that's yeah, it. That's you it. know, and when when you're trying to attract recruits on NCAA football 2012, that's just not going to be enough. <laughs> that's absolutely. I mean, you're just. You're, I mean, you're playing 3D chess yep. right, with that. So, I mean, with that, I mean, do we do we like this list? What, well, what you have Texas at five, right? I do. Okay. So, Auburn, Michigan, LSU, Oklahoma State, Texas. I like it a lot. Thank you. Um, I went Colorado at one. I wanted to spice it up a little bit. I, I looked at my initial list, and it was like all, you know, top 15 programs ever. Uh, but Colorado, I think extremely underrated, a team that's not on TV a ton. Um, but they, they kind of alternate between glossy gold and like metallic silver helmets, which I love. 
Um, really big fan of any scheme that is black and gold based. I, I have Purdue on my honorable mention list. Uh, so any of Colorado's, you know, whether it's the whites, whether it's the grays or the blacks, um, I love those. Yes. LSU is my number two. They were, they were in a real battle with Colorado for, for the one spot, but I had to drop them down on the three line. I combined Alabama and Penn state because they're basically the same uniform, but different colors, Mm -hmm. extremely classic. Love them both. Um, Alabama does have nameplates though. Right. And I don't think Penn state does. Ooh, boy. I I like Oh man, that's gonna like mess me up. That's almost like you know, if I get this wrong, it's it's like thinking that the Yankees have their names on, <laughs> yeah, the, on right. the back of their jerseys. But yeah, with Penn State, I I think they go bear bear with their their <laughs> name. Oh god, I, was, I walked right into that. I'm sorry, everybody. This isn't a this isn't a G-rated podcast. It's no, PG. You should know least. that going in. Um, <laughs> no, I'm having a really hard time now. I, I googled Saquon Barkley, Penn State. And I cannot find a picture of this guy's back. Okay, confirm. No names on the Penn State jerseys. Okay, confirmed. All right. Yeah, love both of those, though. Super classic look. Um, teams that I don't really ever expect to change anytime soon. Uh, another, bi- A little bit of an upset at number four. I just love the color scheme. They've kind of messed with it, th- the different shades throughout the years, but I think they've gotten it right recently. UCLA. Yeah, Adidas did them dirty with a couple oh, of those yeah. alternates, like some late like The stage. Jones-Drew era was really rough. Yes, those were rough, um, and I think a little bit of Brett Hundley era that that's when like it really bottomed out but since Under Armour picked them back up yep. really 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 sharp yeah those those baby blues are really just a perfect powdery Pop. shade uh, and I also had Texas at number five I, I at one point in my life I owned a black Vince Young Texas jersey I don't believe that Texas ever wore those if they ever did that would automatically vault them up to number one <laughs> I don't know where my parents got that uh, and then I made a list uh, from, of from Marshalls yeah <laughs> that's where uh, my honorable mentions Florida State it's a little busy. Their current uniforms have like piping all over the place and the collar is all, you know, it's kind of a seminal like design, I guess. But I think it looks pretty cool. Um, you know, the shades of, of crimson or whatever they call it uh, in gold. Florida, kind of like Auburn, super classic look that the, the, the bright blue with the orange really pops. What do you think of that swamp thing? get up that they, that they busted out? I think it was last year. And I think they, they wore it and then they lost to Kentucky. Well, you know, it's a good Kentucky team. Uh, those gray ones with like if you, if you the look, scales on them. Yeah, if you look closely, oh. yeah, they have scales on them. It's one of the no, one of the greatest uniform faux pas of our yeah. time. I, I do honestly appreciate the effort to go that far to include the scales, but that's going to be a no for me, dog. Oregon, I had to include just to mention like the Dennis Dixon era or Dennis Dixon era, how cool those were. The Michael James era when they had those metallic kind of wings yes. on the shoulders. I know some people really hated those, but I loved them. USC kind of the run same. faster what it made them run it faster. certainly the looked like did. it didn't it yeah, yeah. Uh, especially the white on whites the like d'anthony thomas bringing a punt back in those uniforms was the fastest i've ever <laughs> seen anyone run ever um usc kind of in the same vein as penn state alabama just a classic look when they're good they they have the best uniforms in the country when they're bad they're gross kentucky this is a controversial one when i was doing some research kentucky appeared on a lot of worst uniform lists but i really like the kind of I don't know what you call it, like emblazoned checkers on yeah, the sleeves. Yeah, I love the checkers. Yeah, you know, they do the look. same thing with basketball, where they it's kind of like embossed a little bit, where like when you when you turn it, it kind of looks a little bit flashier from certain angles. I think it's a good look. It's a little busy, but overall good if, for for a program like Kentucky, where it's so far and away a basketball school. Having a little bit of flair on your jersey while yes. also keeping it classic with the just the UK on right. the on the uh, helmet. I think it looks good. They have very underrated uniforms. I think that's yeah. a great call. One, it helps a lot. Like when last year, when they're actually good too, and you're beating you're beating the hell out of teams when you actually look good doing it. Pitt, they've gone through several redesigns. Uh, love love the unis during the Fitzgerald era, uh, but I think they're back to being good now. They've kind of gone back to 
wearing a lot of those classic uniforms where it's almost more yellowy. Yeah, the, yeah. I think that might be full time change entering this yeah. season. Actually, I think it is. Yeah. So kind of the Dan That's Marino huge. type of era look, which I like a lot. Purdue's on my list. Black and gold. It's clean. Looks really good. Looks very un Big Ten like, which is a plus. And then the Maryland flag uniforms uh and they also lead off my list of the worst uniforms so they're they're good <laughs> they're and bad great. depending on i mean it's just such a cool flag i it's one of those where you have to applaud the design for just somebody literally took the time to make that and somebody else signed off on it and they actually made them and i don't think they look that bad it fits with just the maryland flag in general like if you yep. go to maryland or obviously like i'm from there I have obnoxious amounts of clothes and right. accoutrement that that has the you Maryland flag. You basically have on it. like all those items of clothing combined. I do. Yeah. I absolutely do. I, w- I wore the Maryland flag Zubas uh, at least once or twice a year to the offense office, especially if they're playing Wisconsin. Usually yeah. goes poorly for me, um, but yeah, it's one of those things where it's like Maryland people love it and they'll defend it to the hilt. Uh, it's understandable if if you're just a normal person who finds that that flag design is way too much yeah. for a for a uniform, but uh, stop being a narc. It looks cool. Yeah. If you don't like it, you can leave. Yep. I If somebody asked me right now, or any time, really, what's the coolest flag of all the 50 states? Right away, I would say Maryland. Wouldn't even think twice about it. Correct. I don't even know what any other flags look like. I don't even know really what the Wisconsin flag looks like. Like That's how far the gap between one and two is. I wouldn't even know what to say number two. Yeah, Maryland really lucked out with that because, I mean, it would run the risk of being a very unremarkable state without that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the other bad Delaware ones. Junior or something. <laughs> the other bad ones on my list, real quickly, Wyoming, obvious reasons. Georgia Tech, uh, basically because they left Russell, and I don't know what Russell's going to do now. Uh, Northwestern, as we discussed earlier, and Texas A&M with those kind of the, the stripes are going the wrong way on the sleeves is what I'm trying to say. They are. They are. So, yeah, the, those are um, – A&M has a lot of identity crises in general. and, yep. and you Very can insecure s- school. You can see it. Yes, they are. For, for as sad. rich as they are, they are very sensitive and insecure. So uh, and, and you can see it manifest itself in that uniform. Do you have any that you really don't like? Um, I think if, especially if you look at some of like the great failed alternates of all time, Iowa State is like a triple – maybe even like 15 time repeat offender of, of yep. any time that they've tried to go off and do something else. It lo- it makes it look worse and more like, you know, something that not even a, a fry cook at a McDonald's in the eighties w- would have been wearing. Um, but that's kind of what they end up looking like at all times. So those are terrible. Um, Virginia tech, I I'm sorry. Like I, I don't mind the school. I think that they have some cool traditions and, and, uh, They've done an extremely good job for themselves as like a school that's kind of tucked away in, in Blacksburg, Virginia. Yeah. But I I hate the maroon and orange. I'm sorry. It's just there's nothing about it that ever ends up looking all that good unless Michael yep. Vick's wearing it. Um, Arizona also just kind of it is through their own fault. So I, I won't say it's through the no fault of their own, but they always you can always count on them for having a yep. uniform that makes you kind of like scratch your head. Virginia Tech is really sad. They they were my favorite school for some reason growing up. I think I was I was a big uniform guy back then, and I just I like loved Virginia Tech. I have a framed photo of the Hokie Bird in my room for some reason. They had the coolest uniforms. I thought it was them in Miami. You know when they used to play each other on those on that Thursday night every year. Oh baby! And they would debut those alternates. I remember they they both one year had it where it was their traditional jersey but then one sleeve was an alternate color and then a lot of the players this is when like arm sleeves were first becoming a thing like i'm thinking back to like the jimmy williams days oh yeah the marcus vick xavier db uh virginia (laughs) tech teams yeah there's a name vince hall yeah i could keep going uh was it daryl tapp i think was the dn (laughs) um you're killing me they were the coolest uniforms in the country and then one year they just 
totally scrapped them. And now it seems like they have a completely new design every single year and it just keeps getting worse and worse. Basically ever since Logan Thomas showed up. Yeah. Yeah. So Logan Thomas, like the, the sign of the uh, Blacksburg apocalypse, yep. I, I think is, is what that turns out to be. Okay, we have one final actual news item. Um, and given how long we, we just talked about jerseys, I wish we would have addressed this at the top. But Tate Martell, yikes. Um, you know, if you're listening to this pod, you've certainly heard about this. But Miami has announced that redshirt freshman Jaron Williams is going to start week one against Florida. Uh, Martell, after this announcement, did not show up to practice on Monday, but he did show up to a team meeting. Uh, where he reportedly addressed his teammates. I, I'm assuming this is basically like the football version of a concession speech uh, for losing the starting quarterback job. Miami has now said that like Martel's not even guaranteed to be the backup. He's now in a competition to be the second or the third quarterback. I mean, this is sadly now knowing what we know now, it, it kind of seems like this was inevitable. Um, but given his profile, um, you know, coming out of high school, um nationally you know a guy whose whose reputation probably exceeded his actual status as yes. a recruit you know like if you had asked me two years ago when he was he was coming out of high school i would have been like oh this guy's top five recruit guaranteed you know given the hype around him from from the documentary and whatnot he was a high recruit i mean he was what top 60 something like yeah i think when it was all said and done i think right. he he apexed like way higher than that right. like but i think, I think he, he had down. he had the reputation of trevor lawrence without the actual game of trevor lawrence and I think that's kind of what sent this whole thing spiraling. And I don't know what the next step is now. So I'll start this by saying a word of advice. Don't swing and miss, especially not your second time. Uh, Tate Martell, Michael Scott. Um, that was what Tate Martell tweeted out after Justin Fields and uh, ended up committing to Ohio State this past offseason, which is you know basically saying – Hey, you're the guy that that you know thought you could win the job and you couldn't. So you know you swung and missed once. You're going to swing and miss again. This is not advisable yeah. for you to come here. He ends up leaving almost immediately after that and, and ends up transferring to Miami. Somehow gets the gets the hardship waiver from the NCAA. But I mean this this goes back a long way. Uh, ben Baby, uh, one of the more plugged in guys in like the Texas high school. Uh, beat and he was a he was an Aggie beat writer there and Tate Martell was initially committed to Texas A and M so this is like this whole long circuitous thing where where Martell is like the worst byproduct of of the recruiting system basically and and what uh, gets valued and what gets devalued so he he goes ahead and leaves his school in San Diego to go to Bishop Gorman which is like the jewel of the West Coast. Uh, prep schools as far as football is concerned turns himself into a star and then commits to A&M he's going to be the next Johnny he plays like Johnny he's you know he's short but he can you know he can make it work he's got the arm blah 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 um, but then he go ends up uh, leaving A&M uh, as a commit uh, flips to Ohio State obviously doesn't go uh, particularly well there lost out to Dwayne Haskins and you know what? Like he goes ahead and he picks. He's already attained this like Hollywood esque status about himself with with no actual you know like reason or, or accomplishments to back him. Goes to Miami under this assumption that you know who's Jaron Williams, who's in Kosi Perry, like who are these clowns? I'm gonna go in there and I'm gonna take over. I'm gonna win this job right away. And I tweeted out in March, are we sure that he's any more than a glorified seven on seven player? Because that's that's kind of one of the things that, that buoyed his recruiting status is that, you know, he just go to 
goes ahead and like kills it like at the elite 11 or the, or the opening or something like that where no real football is being played. So the longer that the summer went on and it was less confirmed that he was the starting, the, the guy that was starting, or even that he was like hogging all the reps with the starters, it started to become more and more fishy. It's like, is he, is he going to lose this thing? Is he really yeah. going to screw this up? And you know, Monday comes and the universe, I mean, Schools aren't beholden to do this, but the University of Miami's own Twitter tweets out QB1 with Jaron Williams on it. I mean, like, that's that's a statement and a half there. That's like and, the LeBron decision of, like, not even, not even, I'm assuming that's how he found out, or he found out, like, a half hour earlier at practice. Yeah, something, something very similar to that. And credit to Manny Diaz. I mean, he's a guy who... Um, took the job at Temple for like five minutes, and then Mark Rick stepped down, so he takes over. And I think everyone was kind of under the assumption, like, hey, you're this new head coach, you know, like, you're going you're gonna to play Tate Martell, right? Like, because mm-hmm. he's the big deal recruit guy. He took it on a, on a day-by-day basis, and he did not cave to the outside pressure. So I, I think this is a huge credit to, to Manny Diaz, because if he caved to that pressure and the rest of the Miami locker room saw that Jaron Williams or Nkosi Perry was the actual better quarterback, but Tate Martell won the job, that would have been catastrophic for the rest of that locker room. Mm-hmm. So this is the right call. It seems like Tate Martell, you know, I, I know you're just like a, a young kid and everything like that, but I'm sorry, man. Like you kind of done this to yourself. I think if if you kind of played it more straight up uh, this entire time, then there wouldn't be this giant public Schadenfreude from the most of the college football world. But here we are. It's a, t- a tough day for for G Easy fans everywhere with, the, with this news to come down. Say, the the tweet too, like the saying word of advice: don't swing and miss, especially not your second time, is like the lamest possible way of saying you come with the king, you best not miss. Like at least use the cool version. of Yeah, that yeah. And and if you swing and mi- swing and miss twice, like you still have one more strike, right? Like that, that's unless you're playing like a backyard wiffle ball. Yeah, well, even I actually played. I subbed for a softball team the other day and uh, struck out on two strikes okay. because I, I didn't know the rules. But obviously, had I been given a third strike, I would have gotten on base. Um, so that will be the Florida Atlantic, of right? This. <laughs> exactly. Uh, where do you think he ends up then? Florida Atlantic. He's already down there, and yeah. uh, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it just I mean, there's no chance he like waits this out and says, you know what, I'm going to win this job back. The, I think he's gone by late September. Yeah. When, like, I think he's going to like try to you know give it the old heave ho one more time and, and see if if you know Williams plays himself out of it yeah. or, or something like that. But I think Tate Martell maybe appears in four games in backup duty, and then Kelly Bryant's. Right. But like Kelly Bryant, like actually had like good reasons and and all that stuff. Tate Martell is just. I don't even know what to say about the guy at this point, but I don't think it's going to work at the Power 5 level. I think a lot of programs wouldn't want to take on this amount of volume or like noise. Um, Lane Kiffin certainly, I think, would, but I don't even know how much longer Lane Kiffin's going to be there. I thought that last year was going to kind of be his year to, to take FAU to another level. They lost a ton of guys. They're going to be bad this year. So I, I feel like Lane Kiffin's a, 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 a flight risk uh, at FAU, but it does feel like, it, and it's like in a vacuum, Tate Martell should be... Yeah. Uh, Lane Kiffin's quarterback. All right, we'll wrap this up. We'll be back next Wednesday. At that point, we will be three days away Let's from go. Miami and Florida, Arizona at Hawaii. Uh, of course, one of those late night kickoffs. CBS Sportsnet somehow yes. got the rights to that game, viewed uh, only in letterbox format, yeah. so you can only see a little bit of it. Still, two Saturdays away, though. Unfortunately, from that first wake up, and you know it's already 9 30 and you're just you know mere minutes away from from akron illinois and howard maryland and and south alabama nebraska one of the best weekends of the year we'll be back next week 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.